The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. This is Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. I'm your host, Michael English, and today we're going to be talking about health equity. And to help us with that conversation, we have Drs. Ndidi Unaka and Andy Beck from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. How are you two doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, great. Why don't you two uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you two do here? So I'm happy to get started. And I think it's probably best to just ground ourselves in thinking about what is health equity and why is it important. And you know, we could spout a number of different definitions, but the, the one I like to think about is this uh, reality that all kids, all of us really have a fair and just opportunity to be healthy and uh, have every opportunity to achieve the well-being that uh, we all hope to. And I think uh, there's probably nothing more important than we can do as pediatricians, as a pediatric institution, as people who care about the health and well-being of kids is to uh, give every kid the, the chance to be the best that they can be. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, Andy summed it up well. You know, you think about the some of the differences between these terms like equity versus equality, right? When you think about equality, everybody gets the same thing, right? But getting the same thing may not meet the individual needs of a person, right? Where equity is giving people what they need, you know, based on their unique circumstances. And I think when it comes to health, that's so important, right? You know, we want everyone to have the opportunity to live a healthy life. Uh, In order to do that, we have to make sure that we are meeting people where they are and giving people the opportunities and the resources they need to be healthy. And I think one of the great things about our hospital is that we are really focused on that. You know, we are located in a place where we have, you know, some children who are healthy and have access to, you know, the things that they need to make it to doctor's appointments or, um, you know, to take their medications on a regular basis. And then we have some children who, you know, really lack some of those resources to make it easier for them to live a healthy life. And I think our hospital is really focused on how do we, you know, close those gaps to make sure that we are, number one, aware of what each and every one of our patients and families need to be healthy. And number two, we are partnering with others in our community to provide those needs um, and you know, allow people to you know, live a full and healthy life. So tell me what that looks like for the two of you, because you, know, you guys, have done a lot of research in this area, but you also see families every day. So tell me what that looks like when a family comes in, and obviously not every patient is the same, not every family is the same. You know, how do you take uh, sort of health equity and uh, all these factors into account uh, when you're trying to provide them good medical care? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it highlights that sometimes what our job descriptions are can expand to meet the moment and and to 
uh, point us in the direction of the outcomes we, we uh, are striving to achieve. And so I'll, I'll just give an example. So I practice in two, two locations. One is in primary care and the other is on our, our general inpatient wards. But we have great programs in our outpatient clinic called the PPC where uh, we try and match need with resource, match uh, uh, lived experience with uh, potential intervention. And so one example that I love to cite is a partnership we have with the Legal Aid Society of Greater Cincinnati. So plenty of our patients, lots of patients, lots of individuals across our city have health-related needs uh, that often have a legal origin. Think um, housing conditions that are unhealthy and an unresponsive landlord. Think the threat of eviction for uh, uh, trying to discuss housing conditions with a health or building department. Think a denial of a public benefit that you have legal, legal, legal right to. Think not having an individualized educational program at school, even if you have need. These are the types of things that directly affect whether a child, whether a family can have that opportunity to achieve health and well-being. And through our partnership with Legal Aid, we're able to provide them with a connection to legal advocates who can represent them and help uh, ensure that they uh, get the needed resource that might get them over that hump uh, to more effectively uh, find their way toward a, a better condition and a uh, healthier life. That's just one example. I mean, there, there, there are countless other uh, times, connections, resources that we try and leverage that helps do as Didi says, which is to say, uh, we are wanting to provide the care necessary to achieve the outcome we desire um, collectively uh, with our patients and our families. That doesn't necessarily mean providing the exact same level of care at all times. It means stepping up and meeting the moment. So we provide excellent care to everyone we see. We sometimes have to go that extra mile to achieve the outcomes uh, that really all should have um, equal opportunity um, and right to. Yeah, and I'll build on that, right? I think Andy touched on the things that we can do to connect, you know, families with resources that allow them to, you know, live healthier lives. But I think it's also important that we as a healthcare system look inward and think about the things that we perpetually do that make outcomes work worse for families, right? So, you know, what are some of the decisions that we make where bias comes into play, where we treat one family differently based on the way they look or the fact that English isn't their first language? And how does that translate into one group of children having better outcomes versus another because of the things that we are doing inappropriately as a system, right? So identifying needs and meeting families' needs is one part of it, but it's also really important that we take a look at ourselves as a system, as individuals who work in our hospitals and clinics and say, what are the things that we need to take a hard look at and change such that we are providing the right care to the right kid at the right time that's not impacted by our judgments or stereotypes, that's not impacted by flawed you know, guidelines or processes or policies that 
you know, tarnish trust between the healthcare system and families. Just a quick add to that. I think it's such an important point. And I think it underscores the importance of trust and the relationship between, say, the healthcare team and the patient and family, as well as the relationship between the hospital or healthcare system and um, other health promoting resources in our community and community members themselves. It's this importance of trust and relationships that I think pervade the types of uh, decisions and encounters uh, that Didi just described so eloquently. I think um, that's the way uh, forward for us to really move in the direction of health equity. So how do we do that? Because what you're saying is some things are policy. Some things are part of the system um, that has been around for a very long time. And then some of that stuff is what m some people may characterize as get in touch with the hearts and minds, changing hearts and minds. Um, those are two different things, and although they're related, they're both very difficult to, uh, to change and push in a different direction. So how do we begin to do that? Are, are there things that we've already put into place to improve those, uh, those factors? Yeah, I mean, it's hard work, right? I think you identified the fact that a lot of the structural issues, impediments, and, you know, ways in which we have operated have been in place for hundreds of years, right? Th those are things that don't change overnight. I think first and foremost, it's important to elevate the issues by showing the data, right? What do we know about the ways in which some children thrive and some children don't because the way in which we provide different resources or refer certain patients to different doctors or um, you know different um, uh, different services um, you know vary based on these very arbitrary characteristics right so we have to understand the problem and the only way to do that is to show people the data and we we are doing a lot of that I think also data really does drive change you know I think you know on a on a personal level getting people to reflect on you know why does this happen what are the things that I am doing as an individual how am I contributing to this um, system and, and continuing to make this worse. I think that's I think that's powerful. But most importantly, the data then helps us say, all right, let's take a step back and look at all of the different processes, practices, and policies in place that might be contributing to these things. Let's interrogate it. Let's then figure out what are the changes that we need to make. You know, we uh, Andy and I talk about this quite a bit. You know, our hospital is very focused, rightfully so, on patient safety, right? Like over the past two decades, you know, we have really uh, embraced a culture of safety that says every child who steps into our hospital, into our clinic, should be provided the best care and feel like they are going to get, get safe care. And whenever we don't meet that standard, we stop and we look at all of the things that might have contributed to various safety events. 
we think we need to take a similar approach when we think about equity, right? We need to foster a culture of equity that is very similar, right? The way we think about equity, not just as something that happens, but something that should never happen. And what are the things that we need to put in place to make sure that that is the case? Yeah, it's this this idea that you know we've come to uh, live and breathe safety in everything that we do within our clinical settings, and even within within other parts of the hospital that aren't clinical. We live and breathe safety, and and to Didi's point, we've really tried to elevate the conversation to say that we need to live and breathe equity, and we need to understand that uh, we will make mistakes. And those are mistakes that we can learn from and not necessarily use to assign blame, but to understand where within the system are policies and procedures that get in our way. And uh, I think that is not an easy thing to do. It wasn't an easy thing to do for safety, um, but I think it requires our commitment. And I think, I think we have it. And I think that's a really good, positive thing that will help us along that kind of big, big picture system journey. The other thing that we talk a lot about, and I don't want to lose sight of, is the, the, the importance of the next uh, patient-provider uh, encounter that occurs. You know, tomorrow I'll be rounding on the hospital, and I may make mistakes. Um, I may uh, say things that um, I can learn from, um, but in that encounter, I think. I and the others that I work with um, can kind of live and breathe the concept of equity and uh, find ways to deliver the right care at the right time in the right place and in the right way and learn from that single encounter. So I, I say that to suggest that, yes, we need big picture system structural level change that will require time. But I also think that there are improvements that we all can make the next time we step into that single encounter and that relationship with our patients and, and their families. And then I would say one other thing, especially as it relates to the change among us as individuals, is that we have to create space to talk about this, right? Nothing changes if we don't have the conversation, right? And those conversations have to happen in an empathic way, recognizing that everyone is on a different journey of understanding. Um, and it is to everyone's benefit to create psychological safety to talk about, wow, I missed the mark here, you know, in my approach to this patient and family because of the way I was thinking about them, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But if we don't make space and room to have those conversations, we're not going to get anywhere. That's a really good point. And, you know, this is, while not a new topic, um, it is certainly something that's gaining more traction. And when you look up anything about health equity, if you were to Google it or read a, um, an, an, an article about it, Oftentimes, a term that tends to come up is social determinants of health. Please tell our good listeners what that term means and how it is related to health equity. Absolutely. So social determinants of health, some people call, call it the social influences of health. 
um, is a really important topic. And there are a ton of definitions out there. The World Health Organization defines it somewhat like the conditions in which you're born, grow, work, live, and age, and the policies and systems that in many ways determine uh, those surroundings. The way I think of it even more simplistically is just the context in which you live. What does your day-to-day -day, uh, life look like? What's, what's your house look like? What's your neighborhood like? Does it promote health? Does it take away from health? And I think an important thing to think about as you're kind of going through some of the domains of how people often think of the social determinants of health is that they can be both positive and negative. Um, when we think about environmental conditions, do you have safe places to play? Do you have a house that um, has, you know, air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter? Do you have um, a supermarket that you can access? Do you have um, a place where you can go um, outside and breathe clean air and not air polluted by factories? Um, or traffic. These are all the, the conditions that each one of us encounter each and every day. And there are some that, that can build us up and there are some that can tear us down. And as we think about a drive toward achieving health and well-being, without adequate um, focus on these factors which will influence our achievement of that health and well-being, we're, we're unlikely to succeed. And so the real intersection with health equity or health inequity is when those di different types of conditions influence why certain populations experience good health or ill health and why even in our own backyard here in Cincinnati we have neighborhoods that have life expectancy rates 20 years different than other neighborhoods just a couple miles away and in large part we think it because different conditions in which those residents of those neighborhoods are born, grow, work, live, and age. Yeah, I mean, Andy explained it so well. And, you know, I, as Andy was talking, I was reflecting on one of my favorite um, antidotes around thinking about this issue um, that Dr. Kamara Jones um, did in a TED Talk when she was talking about privilege, right? Like, I think when you think about the social influences of health, if you've only experienced the positive influences of health, it may be really hard to imagine how negative influences such as living um, in a neighborhood that is deprived of basic resources like grocery stores impact health because it's just, you've never been on that side of it, right? And so I, I, I think, you know, when we talk about social determinants of health, when we talk about health equity, it has to be coupled with, you know, the, the conversations that we have with one another such that we understand, you know, the perspectives of those who have lived experiences who've been impacted, you know, by all of the social factors that, you know, end up really conferring poor health outcomes on historically marginalized groups. Um, and I think it's so vital to understand how the social determinants of health or the social influences of health really tie into these health inequities that, you know, we're really trying to push to, to close those gaps.
And when that happens in a pediatric hospital, I mean, what's the long-term effect uh, for these kids as they as they get older? I mean, what happens when they're when they're adults? Well, I, I, so I think I think you could think of it a couple different ways. I think um, so much um, of life is, in many respects, influenced by what your childhood looks like. Um, there has been another term that many have used recently called adverse childhood experiences. Um, and these tend to include uh, potentially quite traumatic experiences around uh, visualizing violence or being around uh, illicit drugs or experiencing discord within a particular community or family. And studies have suggested that experience of excess adverse childhood experiences in the first years of life can have lasting consequences with respect to likelihood of having certain chronic conditions in adulthood, heart disease, diabetes, as well as um, dying more early. And, you know, I cited a statistic a moment ago about uh, life expectancy differences um, across neighborhoods here in our own backyard. And what is what is potentially the case is we are seeing in real time the influence of those adverse childhood experiences uh, play out um, in our neighborhoods. And so I, I think the, you know, we're pediatricians, we like to think about and elevate the importance of child health, but I truly think there's almost nothing more important than we can, that we can do, probably nothing more important than focusing on the well-being of children and their families. Because not only will you potentially influence that life in the immediate moment, but you're also setting up that child for a lifetime of health, well-being, and opportunity. And I think if we don't do that in childhood, it becomes almost, or it, often it becomes quite a bit harder to do it um, later on. And so I think there is nothing, uh, I, I just don't think there is anything more important than for us to highlight um, how to make the conditions in which a child is born, grow, lives, and ages the best um, they possibly can be so as to set them up for a lifetime of, of, of wellness. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's important to recognize that pediatricians don't just interact with children and adolescents, right? You know, our role is to, you know, build relationships with children, adolescents, and their families, right? And so you can imagine how, you know, if the adults that are caring for the kids that we see in the hospital or in the clinic are, you know, not as healthy as they can be, right? And they are trying to support their children, um, you know, on their journey with a particular disease or illness. I mean, it's really hard, right? And so, you know, we've been thinking a lot about, you know, how do we not only identify the needs of children, but often those needs are intertwined with the needs of families um, and making sure that we are providing support to the family um, to really ensure that then, you know, kids can thrive in their environments. You know, I don't think most people actually know that or think about that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how you do that? Because most parents, they bring their kid into uh, a pediatrician and they want you to help their kid. They aren't thinking that they're coming in for any help either. So. 
how do you bridge that conversation? What's, what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think I can think of some pretty um, uh, simple examples, right? You have a new parent, a new mom who's bringing their baby into clinic. Yes, we're going to ask about how's the baby feeding and how's the baby sleeping and how how's things going just, you know, adjusting to um, this, this new phase of your life. But we're also going to ask that mom, hey, how are you doing, right? We're going to screen for depression, right? Because if that mother is struggling, right, and we don't identify it, that baby and the, the entire family is also going to feel the effects of not addressing maternal depression, right? It's, it's all intertwined. And I think the conversation that we have with parents and other caregivers are, it really just is grounded in the fact that we're a team, right? No one cares more about your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your granddaughter, grandson more than you. And I'm here to make sure that we can partner in any way, shape, or form um, to make sure they still stay healthy. And part of that is also making sure that I am in tune to the things that you need um, as their parent, as their caregiver. Yeah, I, the, I love that. I, I think the, w- one of the things I heard in there, which I think is a really important just to underscore, was, was the importance of humility. And, um, you know, we may be, we pediatricians may be experts in, in child health, diagnoses, conditions, medicines, but the real experts in the room are often the parents themselves um, who um, can be that teammate that um, that Didi was describing. It, it is a team sport. It is a team effort. Um, and I think approaching those encounters with a sense of humility and curiosity um, can go a long way, both to more fully understand the lived experience that will help shape and guide the care recommendations that we make, but also to learn a little bit and understand, you know, potentially both for that encounter and the next encounter, what are things that are going well? What are things that are going poorly? Um, What are ways that we may uh, contribute to that team in a meaningful way? And so I think the the concept of, of of the team is is a really important uh, thing to to elevate and highlights kind of like the the systems lens of child health. Um, you know, we only see kids in certain spurts, uh, but kids live a lot of life um, in other settings and situations. Be that at home, be that at school, be that elsewhere, and I I, I think we need to figure out how to best. Uh, ensure that our role is um, adding to that team in a meaningful way, both at the patient-to-patient-to-patient level as well as as a broader system. So it really sounds like it goes back to that idea of building that trust and strengthening that bond, which is great. So when I take my daughter into the pediatrician and I talk to her doctor, I'm part of the medical team, which is awesome because so many people have told me that I could have been a doctor. And I agree, (laughs) except for my challenges with the math and the science. (laughs) Minor minor challenges. Minor challenges. We could get over that. 
So, <laughs> so let's say uh, someone's listening to this podcast and they say, you know what? I've had all of the positive experiences in terms of health and medical care, but I feel terrible that there are people out here that have not experienced the same uh, due to factors beyond their control. And I want to help. How can people that are not within the medical profession help? You know, I think this is a really interesting question um, and a really important one. You know, a, a couple of ideas. We have, you know, family advisory councils at our hospital, right? That, you know, these are families who seek care here at our institution. They trust us with their children and their adolescents to provide good care, and they provide amazing feedback by being a part of these councils. And I think positive experiences are great, but I would say a way to help is if you hear about negative experiences that other families have that you know, are outside of anything that they can control, I think it's important to elevate those things, right? I think it's also important to be a champion for diversity, right? If you are someone who has a seat at the table and you have the ear of someone who has influence, use that privilege, right, to say, hey, I am aware of that things don't always go well for everyone, and I want to make sure that this is elevated and the people who actually can make a change think about how they can work on this particular issue. I also think it's important to recognize, just like Andy said, you know, children and families only spend a small part of their time in the healthcare system. So I think other ways to help are thinking about where your sphere of influences are outside of healthcare, right? If you are in education, these issues are not just in healthcare, they're in education, right? They're, they're part of our legal system. They're part of so many other facets of life that maybe you don't have a direct connection to our hospital and feel like you have, you know, are in a position to help in that venue. Well, think about other, other ways in which you do have some influence in which you can help. Um, so those are just a couple of ideas that come to my mind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's important to think, um, I, I suppose, as an individual, um, again, with humility and curiosity, where are, um, what are the ways in which you might contribute? And, you know, some might be able to be fortunate enough to contribute dollars. Some might be able to contribute time in terms of volunteerism or, or something within their professional sphere. Some may have a megaphone and be able to contribute their voice. Some may contribute their vote. There are all sorts of ways that you can contribute to um, helping um, provide children with the opportunity uh, to grow in, in healthy ways. And I think part of it is beginning to think about and just learning more about all those kind of systems or spheres of, of influence that Didi was mentioning. Um, and part of that might be policies, part of that might be nonprofit or, um, or advocacy organizations, 
Some of them may be um, neighborhood-based organizations or volunteer opportunities. And I think those are the types of things that um, that any one of us with with whether it be dollars, time, megaphone, vote, might be able to contribute. I also think um, it's important not to undersell um, the power of the next interaction. I, I mentioned this a moment ago with the next patient interaction um, that I might have or Didi might have, but I think um, the same is true of the next interaction any one of us might have in our personal lives, be that in the grocery store or on the sidewalk in the neighborhood or at a basketball game. And I think um, bringing to that interaction a sense of, you know, again, themes of humility and curiosity, I think can uh, perhaps make that interaction go a little bit better and influence um, the, the, the state at which um, that relationship might uh, might be built and uh, might bring kind of further uh, senses of empathy to the next inter interaction one might have. So uh, I wouldn't undersell the power of how you interact with the next person that you meet. That's, um, that's great advice. And I love that it is so immediate, um, which, you know, we talked about the rest of this being sort of very long term, a lot of work. But Andy, as you mentioned, I mean, the next interaction can be right around the corner. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. All right, so now when it comes to Cincinnati Children's and what we're doing here, uh, can you give our listeners some ideas of maybe specific um, programs or action plans that we have to, to improve health equity? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to start. And, and at the outset, I, I'd just like to say that I'm proud to work in a, at an organization that is so committed to health equity and to community. So community is right up there alongside providing excellent care, being an ec excellent place to work, and ensuring um, that we are kind of advancing a research infrastructure um, as one of our four core priorities. And so, so that's really cool, first of all, to, to work at a place that's so committed. As an institution, we've been um, doing a number of things related to health equity uh, in particular. Didi and I helped to lead something we call the Health Equity Network, which is a group of uh, teams from across the medical center, across subspecialty areas, each working um, on an improvement aim around narrowing the racial gap in hospitalizations. We know that there is a significant gap in the rate at which black children compared to non-black children are hospitalized at our center. We know that that cuts across our subspecialties. And so we are working with teams to understand strategies that work clinic by clinic, specialty by specialty, on those common factors across the board, which might help us get to narrowed and eventually eliminated gaps. And so um, work that is ongoing, we're learning every day, but we are pushing in that direction toward uh, the achievement of health equity, not just in primary care, but across the board. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, you know, I think that work includes a lot of the things that we've talked about already, right? Understanding what the data shows, which Andy highlighted the significant disparities or the inequities as it relates to the outcomes for black patients 
compared to other patients who are admitted at our hospital. I also think it takes a lot of work to understand, you know, what internal processes and practices contribute to those poor outcomes, right? We have to think about what are the things that we need to elevate in sh to ensure that we are able to, to meet our goals of closing those, um, those gaps in, in care. And that means really understanding you know, racism as a system. It really means understanding um, you know, how we can leverage um, different resources like our medical um, legal aid partnership um, and how we actually make sure that we are partnering with families, right? We can't design interventions by ourselves as doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists. We have to design interventions that families know are going to work for them, right? And so I think that's all a part of this work, and we're really proud of it. And just w one other thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'll mention that is highly pertinent to, to what Didi just said is that we recognize that Cincinnati Children's um, absolutely has a seat at the table and as an anchor institution can be a real leader on this. But we also understand that there are other key entities that um, are also relevant uh, to the conversation. And so a lot of this work has been pursued community-wide, citywide, through what we call the All Children, Th All Children Thrive Learning Network. Um, and you can see more information about this at actnowcincy.org. All Children Thrive is a, uh, a essentially a convening to help build capacity and capability across the systems through which uh, th that which uh, produce health for children. This includes, of course, our hospital. It also includes other private practices and public health across the city. It also includes Cincinnati Public Schools and a host of nonprofit agencies. But perhaps most importantly, it includes dozens of parents, family members, and uh, committed neighbors um, who are right there at the table co-producing, co-designing, co-developing approaches uh, to, to better care and uh, improvement of outcomes. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm familiar with All Children Thrive, fantastic organization. Well, as we figured out earlier, I am now a medical expert, um, but there are people out here listening uh, that may want to know more. Um, if someone does want to learn more about health equity, uh, social influences of health, um, how can they learn more? So there's a number of places you can now turn, some of which are on our websites. All, the All Children Thrive website may be an important and good place to turn. If you're more interested in some general reading, um, there are wonderful sites about the social determinants of health and health equity uh, as produced by the World Health Organization, as well as Healthy People 2030, which is through uh, the, the US federal government, uh, has some really wonderful reading materials uh, on the topic. And uh, so I'd, I'd encourage people to, to take a look there. All right, Dr. Unaka, Dr. Beck, thank you so much for joining us here today on Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I really appreciate your time and as always enjoy speaking with you. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners uh, before we sign off today? I don't think so. I just thank you for shining a light on a topic that we both find so important and so essential to, to the work that we do. I echo Andy's thoughts. Just thank you for having us.
anytime. Hopefully you'll join us again. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks. This episode was recorded on February 11th, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.